Producer Doug here. I just want to talk about Pop Culture Classroom. They are the ones that put on Denver Comic Con, and we want to help support them so that we can keep bringing you all this amazing audio, such as panels and interviews from Denver Comic Con. So let's get right into it. Pop Culture Classroom inspires a love of learning, increases literacy, celebrates diversity, and builds community through the tools of popular culture and the power of self-expression. They envision individuals transformed by the educational power of popular culture who create diverse, inclusive, and engaged communities. They provide quality service to kids and communities, respect, inclusive, and diversity, uh, quality of opportunity, alternative approaches to education, and they recognize each person's intrinsic dignity and importance through open communication, responsibility, and honesty. Did I sound like I read that off the website? I absolutely did, because... Well, I did. I want to get everything right for them because they are fantastic. I recommend going to their website and donating just to keep them going. This fantastic program, plus everything to do for the community, uh, literacy, respect, and of course, Denver Comic Con, so we can bring you all of this stellar guests and panels and Q&As and interviews. So remember, go to popcultureclassroom.org, click on the donate, or just take a spin around their website and check it out. And now, on with the show. This is part two of So You've Written a Novel, Now What Panel from Denver Comic Con? Featuring Cindy Madsen, Lisa Brown, and Rebecca Yaros. So there's this other thing. I'll, I'll tell you, it's very generic, but I have it on my phone because it's sometimes okay. An agent taught me this at a conference, so I just, I, it's really handy. So it's going to sound kind of interesting because it's just going to have X's. But when X happens, X must do X. Otherwise, X happens. If you can plunk your book into that, then you've got at least a pitch. And then you also got kind of like what's going on in the world, who this person is, and otherwise what happens. It's a very kind of generic thing, but... What was the last part of it? So when X happens, X must do X, otherwise X, or X happens. That's called a logline, 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 logline. Okay, yeah. Somebody told me. He hasn't asked me yet, though. Yeah. Yes. Are you indie publishing or traditionally publishing? Uh, just starting out. So I'd like to start out a little smaller. So let's say indie. Indie, I would almost say. Indie, I would almost say to do that whole back and then do the series. Um, but Chris and Ashley, if you guys didn't use romance, it's not Chris um, and Ashley is a very, very popular romance novelist, and she pitched and pitched and pitched all her books. She wrote like ten books, and no one would take them. No one, and she's amazing, and she's on the New York Times. She got really angry and was like, yeah, screw it. Dropped them all on Amazon, like one after one after one after one after one. And she blew up immediately because people like to binge. Like, I like to watch most, I like building on Netflix, and you still watching Arrow? I'm like, yes, I am. So, you know, they, they, they want to catch <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so that's, the, the thing is though, you might do that and then find out no one's buying that and you've just spent a lot of money and time on two other books. So it's hard to know. Um, well, isn't that a very nice hint? It depends. <laughs> and so, and, but also, do you have a really strong, like you have a, like a niche audience, you know how to reach them? That's also probably better. If not, you don't know where they go, that's a little trickier. Watch the market, it's overnight time, bullshit out. Trends overnight with indies go so fast that they literally change within a week. And that seems to to my second question, which was, would it be a good idea to specifically aim a book to be a fire charter? Specifically aim it to be controversial? I don't know if controversial is the right word, but huge concept. Big concept, I know what he's saying. When you can plug it in. No. You want something to start a controversy? Right, like, do those? Do you want something like tied into current political situation? Not necessarily political, but something that's certainly up to date and is a hot button in one way or another, but it's not as an issue, it's still a hot button. If it's on your branding and you want to write it, then you write it because it's on your branding and you want to write it. If you write a book completely off your branding simply to stir up public interest, the next book you write is something like it and no one's going to come back. They can, if they come for that book and that succeeds, trust me, knows. That's what they come to you for again and again and again. If you come at them with the handmaiden's tale and then offer them like My Little Pony, like they are coming back. Make sense? They feel like you did a switcheroo and now they don't trust you. And it might work and it might bite you in the. Yeah. So it's, it's a risk. risk. Yeah. But if it's on brand, it's like, all right, right. Um, that's what 
Maggie and I may have another one, but that's what we sit there and talk about. Because their brains think a little bit different than ours do. Theirs think fix, fix, you know. And and ours think, well, we we want to make it artsy and beautiful in our characters. And so it's just a little different kind of process. And sometimes you can find an editor who does both. So agents must expect all the polished manuscript come into the query. They do want to see raw talent, but they also don't want to see grammatical errors. They don't want to see passive writing. Um, passive writing in the first page will kill you guys when you look for an agent and when you query. Um, they want to have fully defined goals on that first page and get consistency with who that character is. Professional editing is something you can invest in, but it's also it's a risk. Like you have no guarantee of payback. So I'm not going to say like, yes, we'll get edited. It might get you a more polished manuscript that you feel more comfortable presenting. And a good way to tell um, who edits books is to read the people you like in the indie community, if you can, if you find an indie book, because a lot of trad editors aren't going to take on a side project and see if they take editors or if they take on um, freelance projects, right? Or check um, check the websites of an editor, like, oh, I freelance this, then go see. Oh, I said, I freelance this book, this book, and this book. Then check that book and make sure that they are listed as the editor, which you can find on sneak peek on Amazon. So you could also spend five hundred thousand dollars to get this book edited. Send it to your agent who says, "We really like this. We love the idea. We like your writing. We think you should change X, Y, and Z, and we'll work on this." So everything you just paid for, all the little technical stuff, you're about to change it all again, <laughs> which is kind of like, oh, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. But like other authors and writers usually will help you with that stuff. And then they don't get, they don't expect it to be perfect because you're going to have a content editor, usually another edit line edit where they look at every line, and then a copy editor who's going to say every single comma, content, uh, continu continuity, continuity, um, every little thing ever. And also they all disagree on their commas. So in case anyone's thinking about their commas, no one knows where they go. But they all think. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and then you have the readers But Yeah, I just wanted to ask, um, what software do you use? You I like Scrivener. Scrivener. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, um, but it's cool because you can. It's it was designed for writers. And Scrivener, it's S C R I V E N E R, and you can get it for Mac or Windows. Um, and you can actually have a cork board with little index cards. You can set stuff up by scene. Um, so I do that for my first draft, and then I switch over to Word. So. I write Word stuff to finish. Me too. I'm weird. Also, I cool kids seem to be scrivening. Every time I know they're cursing much. Right. Every time, every time I go anywhere, some author tries to talk me into scrivening, and I'm like, which word is the devil? I know it's the devil, but it's the devil. And how many times have shown Mac? I was like, Mac's great. I was like, No, never. And I'm like, It's horrible. And I'm like, Mac. I know. Me too. I just like I'm like an old. Man, when it comes to change, like, okay, admittedly, has anyone seen Gran Torino? We watched it halfway through, and my husband was like, That's like you. And I'm like, But I like, dude, when it comes to change, and yeah, I, I have my, uh, like, I have my court boards and would be in Pinterest, all my visuals, yeah. and I have my notes in my app that goes from my phone to my Mac, and I love it that they all sync. I have a little four words. I plot in the next cards. Alright. Oh, he hasn't asked one yet. Um, so it sounds like you can go 
Not you know, necessarily. Yeah, no, you should go indie because you want indie and you want the freedom. Yeah, and you want yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I'm just saying, like, that's a process that could happen. Like, that's a situation that could happen. Like, you, you can't get into um, a, a traditional publisher, and then, like you said, then you still have the option to go indie. Yes. Right? But is the opposite true? Could you, could you put your books out there and, um, and sell them? Jay Conover is one of one of our friends and she writes romance and she hit publish on rule uh, one of her books like at midnight, like jokingly like, all right, we'll see how this book does. And she woke up to number one on Amazon. She already sold like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies before she gave over her rights. Anyway, so she got a deal after because she had sold so many. another uh, example is Sometimes Wattpad and things like that um, does not happen often. It is not that is the outlier. Especially anymore. Okay, so like what happened is these gatekeepers were like, no, we don't want these kinds of books. No one wants these books. No one wants books about kids in college. It's a weird age group. They either wanted YA or adults. Um, and a bunch of authors were like, well, we want these books. And they just decided to jump over the gatekeepers. And this is how indie publishing really started. All of a sudden, Amazon had this this thing, and I think Wattpad probably did help kind of spark it because people were reading these books. So they put them on Amazon, and, and then you know you made 75% instead of anywhere from 10 to 30%. As long as your price is 299 higher. Yes, as long as your price is 2.99 correct. And so these books took off. And so that showed the people, they, that showed publishers that people did want to read those. Um, but self-publishing is it's so flooded now. That it's a lot harder to break into than it used to be, but um, yeah, so it's because it's like a ups and downs with both. If you were wildly successful, yeah, a traditional publisher would probably take them, and even on your next series, they might offer you a big advance. And what happens is if they offer you a big advance, they're going to make sure they get that advance back, so they put a crap ton of marketing money towards your book, basically guaranteeing it will succeed. The amount of your advance um, directly correlates to how much they're going to market your book. Give me an example of an advance on. So say, okay, so like the Match series got like a six-figure advance. You don't really know all the details, but you can see on publishers and market they look like a nice deal, a very nice deal, a very, 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 very nice deal. It's on the Yes, and so you would know how much. So like it was a six-figure deal. So they pay for it to be in Barnes and Noble up front. You see it in the window displays. They have it everywhere because they want to make their money back. If they're going to offer 100000 for this first book, they want to make sure that they make 500000 on this book or so on. So they're going to put the money toward it. If they gave your advance, if they gave your advance with like two or 3000 they might go, oh, we'll just see what happens. But they don't really put a lot of marketing money back behind it. Now there are some um, publishers that are known for paying as little advances as possible and then really still pushing a book with distribution and seeing if they can push it. But it's a little bit, it's hard. Depends on the size of your publisher. And that, it also depends on your size of your publisher. Like yeah. Some publishers just can't pay those kinds of advances, but they pay you higher royalty rates. So, like some publishers will pay you 10% of every book that sells. Advance, but you get more money on the back end. So 
goes through the other phase. And that's another place where an agent comes in handy when you're like, I bought these two options, which do I choose? This agent might say, you know what, they're really good at getting your book in every Costco, Walmart, Target. You know, those people see things that the someone online, if we're just marketing to online and Facebook, not nearly as many people see them as when they're walking by in the grocery store. So that gives you exposure. And you might trade, um, you might choose to go that route and trade a lower royalty rate for a higher exposure and a higher, like a mass market distribution. Because what you're going to lose off your royalties on that paperback, you're going to be back in readers, especially if you have a backlist. A backlist is what's called like your first 10 books, your first three books, your first whatever books. Your front list is your newest title, just so you know that. Like that. So every time we release a book, most every time you book, then it helps, it helps push people to your backlist. So now I have a pretty fairly substantial and so every time I have a sale, but then it helps readers find me again. So that constantly pushes my backlist. I call it oil wells. So you have your oil wells going and one sometimes you can have a gusher. It's like they get done money and sometimes these ones just barely pump. But over time you're like, dang, I got me a lot of oil. Over the next Y and Z, you know, and they all kind of Bunch of other things. Those were left unanswered, but it's 
it still made people feel like if no other Star Wars movies were made, it'd be fine. Right, it's a satisfying ending. It's yeah. A, like, Hunger Games is a satisfying ending because that could have been written as a standalone, and then Catching Fire, of course, what happens after that. But Catching Fire cannot stand alone because that would suck. <laughs> <laughs>
No, you can't do that. But when you get rejected in your queries, it'll teach you to take it constructively. It'll teach you that, like, everybody likes cake, right? But not everybody likes strawberry cake. Like, you can't be everybody's favorite cake. Yeah, and that's funny because people say, oh, you hung in there, and now you don't have to get rejected anymore. And like, yeah, I get a bad review all the time. I get rejection constantly. The other thing I will say is if you're serious about being an author, don't, don't read, don't go on Goodreads and bad, like do one stars and two stars, especially with people in your genre. Like, like that's your water cooler. And you're going to burn bridges. I read a, a, a big time author, and she said, I saw this review, and it was one of those stuck in her soul. It was about how horrible the writing was, how horrible the book was, and she remembered it. And then that person published a book, and they asked her to blurb it. And she was like, I, yeah, probably part of me was like doing it for not saying no to for many reasons, but why would they want my name on their book if they hated me so much? So like you burn bridges without even knowing that you have the bridges out there. So, I mean, as a professional, don't go on there and review that. It's just a long book. And the minute you start writing a book, you are a writer. There's no like, you're a writer now that you're a contractor, now that you're a student. So the minute you want to professionally publish a book, that becomes a profession. They look at your social media, look at how you review books on Amazon or Goodreads or things like that. And you know, we are a tight, we're a tight circle. This is, yeah, this is a very small group. Yeah. We've got about one more question. Yeah. I don't know if you have uh, any experience with this. simultaneously in the publishing a text version and an audio version yep. with full production. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yes. It's just more, I mean, we reach another readership. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are, more and more people are doing audio books. Yeah. Yeah. Would a publisher tend to think really at that oh, we've got a professional narrator who's already narrated the book? No, I'm not going to look at the author with the audio book in mind for a professional. I'm talking indie publishing. There's an absolute advantage because you do have actual Facebook groups dedicated to people who like audiobooks and it's and it opens your audience. But professional publishing will look at it as who do we sell the rights to? Because Audible's gonna push that book ahead a lot higher and faster than you can as an indie. So they're gonna give those rights to someone who they, who can push it if they're gonna take on traditionally publishing the book. So indie wise, yeah, absolutely there's an advantage. Traditionally not as much. You might want to just hold on to your audio rights and do it yourself. Yeah and then have let them push the paperback and the digital copy, and then you've got your audio book that you can do yourself. And it's a give and take, and you would have probably get a higher percentage. So like, if you want to keep your audio rights, you have to give them back something. So you're gonna take a point less on your royalties. You're gonna take something off here. I want, I always keep my performance rights no matter what. So if I want to keep my performance rights, I have to give up 5% of my If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher.